Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to John chapter 9, Gospel of John and chapter 9. We've been going through the encounters that Christ has with different people in the New Testament. Here we'll find a wonderful encounter that Jesus had with a man who was born blind from birth, and Jesus gave him sight. This miracle is only recorded in the Gospel of John, not in any of the other Gospels. We already studied the miracle of Jesus healing Bartimaeus and another blind man near Jericho. They were both born with vision and lost it somewhere along the way and became blind. This man had never seen. Jesus gave him sight. And as we go through the chapter, we'll see this, the Pharisees start questioning him. They interrogated his parents and then, and then the man. And as, as they do that, and you feel the hostility as you go through the chapter, they're really angry at the one who healed him, especially because Jesus did it on the Sabbath day. But they took it out of the man who was given his sight. Don't be surprised when people give you a hard time when you tell them and live the Christian life, tell them that you're a Christian. It's really an indication that they are really just resistant to Christ, so don't take it personally. One of the highlights of this chapter uh, is his answer to the Pharisees as they demanded him to give God the praise uh, and call the one who healed him a sinner. And his answer is found down in verse 25. We won't get that to that today, but he, his answer was, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. <laughs> this miracle is a beautiful picture of our salvation. When Jesus saves you, he gives you spiritual sight. You've come from the darkness of your sins, the blindness of unbelief, to the light of Christ. And when that happens, there are always going to be unsaved people who don't understand what happened to you, and they'll come at you with all kinds of questions. And the best answer to give is that same thing that this man said, One thing I know, whereas I was blind, now I see. We won't be able to cover the entire chapter this morning, especially in its length, in one message, so we'll just look at the first seven verses today. But the outline for the whole chapter, the miracle in verses 1 through 7, the man's testimony to his neighbors, then his interaction with the Pharisees, the testimony of his faith in Christ, and last, the condemnation of the Pharisees. So that's where we're headed if the Lord lets us next week. But uh, just for this morning, a man blind is a man born blind is given sight will be the title of our message. The miracle in verses 1 through 7. Let's read that real quickly. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither had this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which by interpretation is sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. We first see, first of all, in verse 1, Jesus encountered a blind man. The wording in the text is so simple that we almost mistake it as, as, as reading it just a chance meeting. As Jesus passed by, 
he saw a man. The verse tells us two things that Jesus did. And this is, this is the Lord's part in this miracle. First, he passed by. Jesus knew this meeting was going to place, uh, take place long before this man was even born. There are occasions in the Bible where the intentions of Jesus are obvious. John 4.4, 4, we read, he must needs go through Samaria. And he had to meet a woman at the well there, and she came to believe, and so did many of the Samaritans in that village. There are other times when it looks like he's heading one way, but almost changes his mind, changes his plans. In Mark 6.48, the disciples were toiling and rowing. There was a storm at sea. And it says about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them walking upon the sea and would have passed by them. Aren't you, they were glad that he didn't. They cried out in fear, thinking he was a ghost. He got out of the sea, into the boat, and the storm stopped. Well, Jesus arranged this meeting. The blind man didn't plan it. He was totally unaware of, of the Lord's itinerary on that day. But it had been on God's calendar from, if we look at Ephesians 1.4, from the, the, the foundation of the world. Jesus passed by and saw this blind man. And just as there was a reason for him to do that, he passes by us today. He may be passing by you at this particular time in life. He knows what you're going through. He sees what you're going through and he cares and he's there he's present what's the second thing that verse 1 tells us Jesus did he saw a man Jesus the one who can see the secret thoughts of every heart looked at a man who couldn't see him when we study the miraculous restoration of sight to the two blind men near Jericho Bartimaeus and his blind friend they heard that Jesus was passing by, and they cried out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Here, there's no cry, no request from the blind man. The miracle is based solely on the compassion that the Savior had for him. He saw him in his need. What a wonderful picture of how God sees us and how unable we are to save ourselves. We're totally lost, hopelessly lost. Now, that, that's Jesus' part in this miracle. What's the man's part? What qualified him to receive his sight? The only thing I can find in the text that made him a, a candidate for this miracle is that he was blind. Blind from birth. And this is a complete miracle of healing. Jesus didn't restore something that the, the man once had and, and it was broken. He didn't just fix something. He had never seen anything. He had never seen anyone, ever. I've used the quote from John Newton before, the converted slave trader who wrote Amazing Grace. He said toward the end of his life, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. There's really nothing any of us have in our lost condition to offer to Christ. And so... Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who brought sight to this man only on the merit of his own grace. I'm glad salvation is God's work. Secondly, the disciples revealed their own faulty theology in verse 2. 
And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They were looking at things from their own human perspective, and that perspective led them to faulty conclusions. It always does. The thought, uh, even among the Jews of the day, was that if someone was born with some physical handicap, it was, must have been because of some kind of sin. It was a common mistake made then, and unfortunately, it's still one people make today. If God allowed this, he must have somehow deserved it. The Bible does say that sin has consequences. We're all born sinners. Romans 5.12, whereas by one man sin entered the, into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Because of Adam's original sin, that Sin passed along to everyone born in the human race. We inherited our sinful nature from Adam. And because of that sin, we deserve punishment. The consequence of that original sin is death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. The Bible also says that we commit sins by our own choice. And so instead of original sin, I'm going to call this individual sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Each one of us has committed sins. Some sins we commit knowingly, willingly, and some we commit ignorantly because we haven't, haven't read the law of God. We don't know what God says about that particular action. Well, the Bible teaches that there are consequences even for these individual sins. There's a warning that's given in the instructions at the Lord's table, and those who uh, didn't take the, the elements worthily, that is, it wasn't a genuine picture of their communion and fellowship in their life. They didn't have fellowship with Christ. There was sin in the way. It said, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. And so that was a, a, a punishment, a consequence of that individual sin. But illness, sorrows, setbacks, handicaps, they're not always the result of individual sin. There are cases in the Bible where infirmity, sickness, is in the will of God. It's not that God is punishing a person for doing something that's wrong. Remember Job's friends? <laughs> they made a wrong conclusion. Well, God is doing this. You must have done something wrong. The people on the island of Melita watched as the viper bit Paul on the hand they had survived the shipwreck and come ashore, and they were gathering firewood, and Paul picked up a piece, and a, a snake bit him on the hand. And the people looked and said, he must have been a, a bad criminal to, to deserve this. Paul's thorn in the flesh wasn't a result of his own sin. It was given so that God's power would be demonstrated through Paul's weakness. The death of Lazarus resulted in a recognition that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. The man in John 9 was born blind. If you look down at verse 3, it's so that God's works could be made manifest in him. So what do we learn about the, the disciples' wrong theology? How can we not make the same mistake? Well, there are consequences that we cannot avoid because of original sin. We bear the scars of the fall. Disease and death are the result of original sin. Secondly, there are consequences when we disobey God. Some sickness, some disease is, is a result of our own individual choices to sin. We reap what we sow, Galatians 6-7. But there are other times when God 
will use what we think is bad to bring about glory to himself. And you might be going through something right now. You say, I, you know, I've searched my heart. I don't know what I've done wrong. Maybe you haven't done anything wrong. Maybe God is just trying to use this in your life to be a testimony of his grace to someone else. A platform of his love. Fanny Crosby wrote more than 8,000 gospel songs, although blinded by the age of six weeks because of the, a fake doctor's maltreatment. Um, one time a, a pastor said, she didn't have any bitterness in her heart. One time a pastor asked her, I, I think it's a great pity that the master didn't give you sight when he showered you with so many other gifts. And you know what she said? Do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I should be born blind? And he said, why? And she said this, because when I get to heaven, the first face that, I shall, ever, that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. Huh. You don't always know why difficulties come. Next time you hear somebody ask, why did, what did I do to deserve this? Or if you ask yourself, is God somehow punish me, punishing some sin in my life? Remember, some illness may be the result of sin. And some things might be that it looks like God is bringing his chastisement into your life, but it may just be a means for others to see his glory. In verses 3 to 5, Jesus explained how God makes his purposes known. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. He was blind so that God's works would be revealed, that word manifest, made evident. They want to see God's works. Philip says, This man's blindness was the touch of God in his life, not punitive, not arbitrary. It was part of a plan unknown to anyone but God and his Christ. A plan intended to bring Christ into this man's life and ultimate praise and glory to God. The difficulty that you have going on perhaps right now is not a handicap. It's an opportunity for God to show his work through you. So instead of complaining about what you're facing, God wants you to pray. And you can anticipate what great things he's about to do through you. Jesus came to do the Father's work. Verse 4, God commissioned Jesus for the work that he gave him authority to do. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me. He was sent by God. And you know what? So are we. In fact, if you look at the original wording, verse 4 begins not with I... But the, the pronoun is plural, humas, but we. It's placed in front of the, at the very beginning of the sentence for emphasis. He, he's including us, and he talks about doing God's will, and Jesus is saying, we must work the works of him that sent me. And that truth is also found in John 20, 21, when Jesus said, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Jesus sent his disciples, and he sends each one of us with the same mission to do God's work. We have the authority of God's word behind our message and behind our mission, our service. There's a limitation to our work. Jesus included the phrase, while it is yet day. 
And we can only work while we're alive on this earth for him. Jesus lived 33 years, and only the last three years of that was a, called a public ministry. None of us know how long we have to live. He also includes the words, the night cometh when no man can work. And there will be a time when our life work is ended. And Fanny Crosby wrote that in one of her songs, My Savior First of All. When my life work is ended and I've crossed the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious, glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side. And his smile will be the first to welcome me. I shall know him. And so we have to consider, we have a limited time in our service for Christ, just as Jesus. While it is yet day, the night is coming. There will be, when we get to heaven, nobody is going to be lost there that we can go and, and give them a gospel track. We can't invite them to church there. We won't be praying for the Lord's will to be done in someone else's life because in the Lord's prayer it says, uh, that the, the, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. It's always done in heaven. We won't be praying there. Let's not let our prayers and labors end before we get there. Now is the time to work. Verse 6, Jesus demonstrated his power to give blind and this, the, the blind man's sight. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. We're not told why Jesus did this. It wasn't necessary as a means of healing. Some think that he may have been reminding us that he formed man out of the dust of the ground. In the beginning, God just spoke and the world was formed. He could have spoken as he did in other places and this man could have been healed. He could have had his sight, not healed, but given sight. John Phillips writes, Sometimes the Lord healed people by a simple word of command. Sometimes he employed means. But with or without means, God is the one who heals. I think Jesus was doing something that appeared to be work on the Sabbath day to teach the Pharisees that he is Lord of the Sabbath when Jesus healed the layman at the pool of Bethesda we studied that encounter he was accused of doing work on the Sabbath remember what he said my father worketh hitherto and I work when the disciples robbed grain or rubbed grain between their hands it was a field that they were going through and the Pharisees saw that they said you're working you're winnowing grain you're harvesting on the Sabbath and Jesus reminded the Pharisees that David had eaten of the table of the showbread when he was hungry. Here the Pharisees argue that making dirt into clay was work. And Jesus used that to reinforce that same lesson. The Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And you'll find that statement recorded in all three synoptic gospels. The last verse, Jesus gave the man something to do to show obedient faith said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. It seems like here God wanted this man to show that his faith was genuine. We'll see it developed later on in the chapter as well. But I think of this captain of the, the Syrian army who had a similar responsibility. 
He had to show his belief by obeying what Elisha said about going to dip in the Jordan seven times. He said, I thought, surely this man of God would come out and he'd speak the word and and heal me on on the spot. But God wants to show faith is obedient. Sometimes God requires man to respond for the miracle to be complete. Sometimes he just speaks a word and it's done. But either way, it's God who gets the credit for the miracle. He doesn't do the same thing in everyone's situation. He may be asking you to show some kind of an obedient step of faith in your life. There's a command that he has given you, be obedient to the command. It's an evidence of your faith in him. God works this miracle, but the man responded in obedience. The Lord said, go and wash. The man went and washed. And the result, he came seeing. You can imagine the tumult that was going on on those streets. They probably were watching Jesus mix that clay with the spittle and putting it on his eyes. And and knowing this man had never seen, they'd watched him day by day in, in Jerusalem. And he's making his way down from Jerusalem to the south to that pool of Siloam, and he's going to wash. And they knew. Jesus had told him to wash it off. They wanted to see what was happening. And the crowd would be following him all the way down there. And sure enough, he washed, and he could see. Let's bow our heads and consider how we should respond to this passage. Before I pray... Maybe you're struggling with something right now. Instead of complaining, will you change the way that you look at that circumstance? And will you begin to thank God for your trial? You could even pray, Lord, I don't understand it, but I trust you. And I want your grace to be seen through this hardship. Let your strength be made complete in my weakness. Maybe that's a prayer that you need to to pray as a result of this confrontation with this passage. Maybe you've been waiting for God to do a work in your life, but you haven't stepped out in obedience to what he's told you to do. You've heard those words as the blind man, go wash in the pool of Siloam, but you haven't gone. The cake of mud will never be washed away from your eyes until you obey. Obey him now. And see clearly all that he has for you. Father in heaven, I pray that you would do your work in our hearts today as you pass by each one of us. May we recognize your presence. May we understand what each one of us needs to do in our next step of faith. Maybe there's a person here who's just been holding out, never trusting you as Savior, thinking I'll just put it off. Help them to come to you today in salvation. And then others, whatever is going on in their life, may they take that step of faith. And I pray that we'll go from this place seeing more clearly than we've ever seen before in a spiritual way. Seeing the needs of others who need Christ. Seeing the needs of our own life that need repentance in areas. Work in our lives today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.